Hey everyone, JJ Cooper here to let you know that the Baseball America Team Prospect Podcast are brought to you by you, the Baseball America subscriber. If you're a Baseball America subscriber, we wanted to thank you. Your subscriptions are what allow us to do what we do. We know that you want the most in-depth, well-researched, and well-reported scouting reports we can provide you. That's what we aim to do with our top 10 prospect list, the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, the Top 100 Prospect List, these podcasts, and all the prospect coverage throughout the year. But we can only do that because you support us, and for that, we thank you. And if you're not a Baseball America subscriber yet, but you love all this prospect talk, you can join the ranks of Baseball America subscribers today. Every Baseball America print magazine subscription comes with full access to our website content as well. Or if you prefer, you can subscribe to get our content online for less than $6 a month. Go to BaseballAmerica.com store to subscribe today. And for those of you who do, again, we want to thank you. Hey everybody, Kyle Glazer coming to you live from the Baseball America studios here in beautiful Durham, North Carolina. I'm here with Carlos Colazzo, and we're going to go through the Washington National System. Carlos, your first uh, first time doing a, a full system for the Prospect Handbook. You got a, a pretty solid one with the Nationals. First and foremost, just what was your overall take after you know all the scout calls, all the manager calls, just all the research you put into it on this system? Yeah, uh, it's an interesting system for sure. Like you said, this is my first time doing a chapter. I got a little bit of a warm-up when we did our league top 20 list, so that kind of gave me some prep for what I was looking forward to. But this is an extensive list that we do here, extensive reporting, obviously, to kind of complete the prospect handbook. And the national system uh, is exciting. It's probably more of a top-heavy system than some of the other ones that I'm sure you're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. Uh, But there's some really interesting prospects at the top, and there, there are some guys with some real talent or maybe just a little bit further away down in the system as well. So definitely a fun one to report on, and uh, I assume for the Nationals fans, a fun one to, to bank on in the future. I think the top three were pretty straightforward. Victor Robles, Juan Soto's Eric Fetty. Um, we all know what Victor Robles can do. Mm-hmm. I want to get into Juan Soto real quick, because a yeah. lot of fans are really excited about him. He's had trouble staying healthy, but when he's been on the field, he's been great. What was just your overall you know, feedback you got on him from evaluators around the game? Yeah, with Soto, he's a guy who is similar to Robles in that he's a guy who, who can be an impact kind of player as an outfielder. Um, but with him, he even it seems that he has more thump in the bat than Robles does, at least currently. I know Robles was hitting for a little bit more power in the Arizona Fall League and kind of late in the season. But Soto is a guy who I put 60 power on based on my conversations with with scouts and with people in the Nationals organization, he's got a 60-grade hit tool and 60-grade raw power right now. Um, and he projects more as a corner guy than a center fielder. But when you've got a guy who's got two-plus tools uh, in the hit in the hit tool and the power tool, that's an impact guy. And then across the board, he's really average or above average at all the other all the other grades with his run tool, his defense, and his arm. Uh, like you mentioned, he has had some trouble staying healthy. But he's definitely a guy, and we've talked about it internally, that – that Soto is a guy you're looking at to, to maybe have a breakout season in 2018 and really establish himself as maybe the next level of like top-end prospect in the game. He's definitely got that potential. So with all the injuries, was the perspective from evaluators that it's there's something wrong? Because there are those guys who just, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. there's always a pull, always something somewhere. Yeah. Or do they see it as more just a series of freak accidents and they're not worried about it. Yeah, these seem to be more of the latter. It seemed to be a bunch of just random injuries that weren't really related to each other. This year he dealt with uh, a fractured ankle. He broke a hamate bone. uh, And then he also dealt with a hamstring injury. Now the hamstring injury might be one of those that can kind of linger for a little bit more. But the other ones seem fairly random, uh, weren't really related in any way. But when you do have a guy that's had three injuries in one year, you're going to want to be careful with him at least to make sure he's kind of back healthy, 100% ready to go before you push him too hard. 
Um, I think the biggest thing is honestly just the time that he lost to kind of keep progressing through the system. When he was in games and when he was playing, he did exceptionally well. There was no questions about what he did on the field. So it's just a matter of him getting out there 100% and kind of continuing to make his progress and move through the minors. Number three prospect, Eric Fetty, is an interesting guy. I think mm-hmm. there's been a fair amount of starter versus reliever debate. Yeah. He came up to the majors last year. You know, three starts, didn't go well. But again, the first three starts of any mm-hmm. big pitcher's career is, is not indicative of what he's going to be. What was your uh, the feedback you got on his future? Again, yeah. just speaking with evaluators. Around For the game. sure. And kind of going into it, I, I obviously was keen to the situation that the Nationals were dealing with uh, with their major league team where their bullpen was really terrible for the first half of the season. Uh, and I asked about that going in with Nationals evaluators. Hey, was Fetty moving from a starting role to a bullpen role more to do with uh, where you guys projected him in the future, or was it just a case of you might need some bullpen help this year? Uh, and with him being advanced in the minors, he was a guy who could certainly do that. And they definitely told me that that was a, more of a case of them trying to get Fetty in a role where maybe if they needed to push him up to help the major league club, they could do that. Um, but he did go from starting to relieving and then back to starting uh, this season. And I think the starting rotation is still where they feel like he has a chance to, to impact the major league team. And I think he has the stuff to do that. I know this year the team was very happy with the changeup uh, progress that he made. At times his changeup was just as devastating as his slider, which is something that you couldn't say in the past for him. Uh, it's something that he's still going to have to work on his consistency with to make sure it's a pitch he can go to regularly. Um, the fastball and slider are definitely more consistent for him at this point. But I do think that starting is where he's going to uh, be developing and and potentially helping the, the big league club very soon. So we talked about these top three, Robles, mm-hmm. Soto, Fetty. These are all top 100 guys. Again, not a huge surprise. Mm-hmm. Those are your top three. That next group of Carter Keboom, Seth Romero, Luis Garcia, even into you know Will Crow and Daniel Johnson. What went, you know, I think it's fair to say that's kind of a, a tier below mm-hmm. those top three. Yeah. When it came time to order, you know, Keboom and Romero, what was the thought process and, and how you got to your final result of ranking them as you did? Yeah, Keboom and Romero were tough um, just because they're such different players comparing a guy who's a shortstop now might be a third baseman in the future, but a chance to be a middle-of-the-lineup middle hitter with a guy like Seth Romero who's had some maturity questions, some character questions, but a guy who has really, really impressive raw stuff on the mound as a left-handed starter, maybe a reliever down the line, but the Nationals are definitely committed to, uh, to working him out as a starter. They're just very different um, when you line up all their tools and kind of grade them out. Uh, they come out similar for us, um, at least after talking to evaluators and scouts who have seen these guys. Um, you could easily flip Keyboom and Romero for me back and forth. I think we had some internal debates to say, okay, Keyboom is probably going to be higher just because middle-of-the-order hitter that's a shortstop and can play there every day is probably more valuable than a, a starting pitcher who maybe has a ceiling of a number three guy, um, depending on kind of what you value. Um, but those guys were definitely a tear down from the first three, like you said. I think the first three are definitely locks to be top 100 guys. I know you're going to have more conversations with, with that than me. Um, but then, yeah, getting into a guy like Luis Garcia as well, I don't know which guys you wanted to touch on. We can touch on the first two more if you want. Yeah, well, no, I mean, that's fair. I mean, I think you, you pretty much hit on it that, mm-hmm. you know, I think anytime you have a guy, you mentioned that potential middle of the yeah. order. And even if he does move to third, a third baseman who can mash and play exactly. really good defense, that's 
I mean, you look at their third baseman they have now, and it's a pretty valuable player. So I would argue Ryan Zimmerman at you know well now Anthony Rendon, Rendon but yeah. Rendon is a guy who at his peak is more valuable than most number three, number four. Yeah, stars exactly. In the majors. He, he might be one of the most undervalued guys in the majors currently, just because no. they've got some star power there. He's competing with, but no question. Keyboom, uh, and it's he ha- he dealt with some injury issues too. It's if we go through the system, we'll talk about a lot of guys who are kind of right. Back so with injuries. That was kind of my follow up. What's mm-hmm. his status? Yeah. So his let's see what he did during the. Year uh, he had a hamstring injury as well and hit the disabled list in May, um, but he had a really hot start. Twenty nine games in the South Atlantic League where he hit three thirty three, three ninety eight, five eighty six, uh, and then he rehabbed and made his way back to the Sally League. So I think this is a case where he'll be ready to go for two thousand eighteen. Shouldn't be super serious. Again, a lot of these injuries. There are some guys who have more injury history than others, but a lot of these don't seem like two serious injuries at the moment. It's hard to say now until we kind of see them next season and see what they're doing and how they're holding up. But I think this is an issue where he just takes some time off, figures it out, comes back 100%, and he should be good to go. Um, so I'm not too concerned there with Keebooms. Yeah, so, you know, you've got Keeboom. We talked about Romero. You had Luis Garcia, six. Mm-hmm. Just what was, you know, what can you tell us about him? Obviously, he's a guy, you know, only signed last year. He's a, you know, two, you know born 2000, mm-hmm. you know, turned 17 this year. So there isn't a lot of track record, but made his stateside yeah. debut this year and, and performed pretty well. Yeah, him and uh, Yasel Antuna were two of the guys from that signing class, that international signing class, who really acquitted themselves well uh, this season. He's a guy who... What jumps out to me is just his speed. He's a double-plus runner, 70-grade runner by all the guys that I talk to. Gets down the line well out of the box, and that plays defensively as well with some good range for him. He's got really good hands uh, and an advanced approach of the plate for a guy who's as young as he is. Uh, he was born in May May 16th of 2000, so he's definitely a baby. Uh, and he's a long way off. He's When we get to Luis Garcia, he's kind of in this tier of guys who have a lot of talent. Uh, but there's a long ways to go before they start to realize some of that talent. Was it, was it fair to say Keeboom and Romero were a, a clear tick above this next group starting with Garcia? Yeah, I'd say so. I think that's fair just because you can see, you can already start to see the impact that these guys can have. I mean, Romero, even before he even got into the system, because Romero didn't even have a great pro debut. Just what he did in college and kind of the scouting reports we had before the 2017 draft, uh, most front offices and, and scouting directors and scouts that we talked to uh, and got information on thought Romero had a chance to be a middle to even top of the rotation kind of arm. Uh, and that that talent and the, the stuff he showed with Houston kind of spoke for itself there. So I don't think I'm going to look too hard into his debut. It's a very short sample. And even so, um, there's you know there's quite a few runs allowed. Still mm-hmm. a, a 35 to eight strikeout to walk ratio mm-hmm. in 22 innings. You see, you know that's definitely positive to work from. Yeah, and with him with Romero, I think it's going to be you're going to have to watch his his mechanics and his delivery. He's got some noise in there. He's going to have to make sure he's repeating that moving forward. And I think that's where you kind of get into some of the bullpen questions. And again, with Romero, with the, a lot of the bullpen talk is just because he's with the Nationals, and they had that issue there. And he was a guy who you thought, okay, you, you could draft this guy, maybe get him lower than you would normally because of his suspension issues with Houston, and push him through quickly to help the team in the bullpen. And that makes sense for the Nationals uh, from kind of a system standpoint. But Romero definitely has the chance to do either one. Yeah, I mean, counted arm. You know, we talk about Luis Garcia, so. We've established that the top three are their own tier. Then mm-hmm. you have Kibu Romero are kind of a tier to yeah, themselves. Yeah, I'd say that's probably a safe second tier. You move into that Gar- that third tier. How close were Luis Garcia, Will Crow, Daniel Johnson, or was it was it pretty clear cut? No, I don't. I don't. I like the order that they're in, but I think you can go from Luis Garcia even down to maybe ten with Yasel Antuna and really group those guys solidly in a third tier. For me, 
um, just when you're grading them out, they're all like 50, 55 guys with varying risks uh, associated with them as far as our overall grade, how our grading system works um, in the prospect handbook. But all these guys have, they're different players, obviously, but they're, they're kind of grouped the same for me. Um, Take us through Will Crow. He's a yeah. second-round pick, decorated collegian. Mm-hmm. Um, just what was the overall you know, st- stuff you got back? And he had a really nice showing in the short season with yeah, Auburn. Yeah, he really did well. He had 20, I think 22 thirds innings with Auburn and less than a three ERA. Struck out 15 batters and walked three. And he's a guy who, like Romero, is a college pitcher who you can probably expect to move through the system quicker than some of these other guys. And really, when you look at Romero and Will Crow, it kind of speaks to the draft that the Nationals had. Uh, they really focus on pitching, and they really college focus on college, college pitching. Yeah. Two round. Yeah. I think the the top ten, they had ten players, obviously, uh, in the first ten rounds, and I think nine of those guys were college pitchers. So they definitely identified a weakness in their system and went to address that in this year's draft. And uh, Will Cron and Seth Romero are obviously the top two guys there who can really impact the system quicker. Uh, but Crow, when you go into his tools, he's a guy who's – He's probably got a plus fastball. It's in mid-90s right now. It gets up to 97. And then really all his secondary pitches are average to above average currently. Uh, curveball slider, probably both above average pitches. Depending on who you talk to, the curveball is ahead of the slider. I think I got more people saying that the, the curveball is ahead currently. Um, but some people like the slider as well. Changeup is probably more average than above average now. But definitely a pitch that with more time and more focus on kind of refining that could be another above average pitch. So you've got a guy who has four pitches that are at least average uh, and has pretty good control as well so he's a guy that can push quick maybe he doesn't have the ceiling uh, that some of these other pitchers have but he's definitely got a pretty high floor and a chance to impact the back of a rotation on a major league club you mentioned Romero and Crow both finished uh, up in short season you could see them Mm -hmm. you know we've seen some college pitchers sometimes skip low a go straight to high a do kind of a high a double a run and Mm -hmm. you know i mean is 2019 a a safe you know i don't want to say safe because nothing's ever safe Mm -hmm. with pitchers but uh you know a reasonable possibility they'll they'll be in the majors yeah i would think so and then with crow you also have his tommy john surgery in 2015 that you have to worry about and just consider put that in your uh in your data points and make sure you're aware of it um, but he's done well since he's come back from that injury in college and in his short since so far in pro ball. He's a guy I think will move very quickly. Uh, Romero might might be less quickly just because he's got some things he might need to clean up with his mechanics. But but Crow is a very polished pitcher, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him very soon. So we get, we get to Daniel Johnson, number eight. And this guy, I think, is one of the most fascinating guys in the mm-hmm. system because he's always been considered this really, really good athlete with questionable hit, mm-hmm. questionable ability to hit. But you go back and look – He's actually always hit. He hit mm-hmm. it in Mexico State. Now, given that's really, really, like, that's the lowest caliber of D1 you can get a lot yeah. of times. But it, he still performed. He performed this year, low A and high A. Just what's the overall, you know, sense you got on Daniel Johnson? Daniel Johnson might have been my most, like, he was the most fun guy probably for me to write up just because he's such a tooled-up guy. Uh, he's a smaller guy. He's like 5'10", 185 is what he's listed at. But he might have the best arm in the system. He's got really good raw power, plus raw power, plus arm, plus runner. Uh, so he's got all these tools. And you think, well, hey, why don't people know about this guy? Why don't they talk about him? But like you said, there are hit tool questions. I think we graded out as a future 45 hit uh, at the major league level, so, and, so a fringe and, average hitter. But. And why is that? Just I think because again, there's a disconnect between the scouting reports and the yeah. results. So he's got a really, really quick hands and a really quick swing, but I think it's kind of an approach question where he kind of expands his zone a little bit too much, more than you'd want to see with him. 
Um, and then, like you said, I think he has hit previously, but at the levels where he's hit with his tools, it hasn't been the kind of results that you maybe wanted to see. This year with Hagerstown and Low A, he hit 300, 361, 529 with 17 home runs. So you see more of that impact kind of playing in game this year, which is exciting. I think there were questions with him in college too about the hit tool coming out of the draft. Right. So you've got that, that was, kind of history right. with it that you always kind of wondered. And maybe that was baked into current scouting reports where people were undervaluing the hit tool, but now he's shown it. Uh, and if he can continue to move up and continue to hit and hit with authority, I uh, know in his brief stint in high A, he, the impact was a little bit less there. But still, I mean, but still five home runs, three forty six, exactly. You're still you're still doing well, uh, and he's got those other tools, like I mentioned. Uh, he he has a chance to play center field. I think he's still got to work on cleaning up his routes a little bit now. But he's got above average speed, like I mentioned, and all the tools. The arm the arm is really strong, and I think he took strides this year and kind of honing that that arm and making more accurate throws and the smarter throws, whereas he used to kind of just whip the ball in the infield and kind of just get it in there. But he's definitely taken some steps this year that are really encouraging. And if he can put it all together, I mean, this is a guy with three-plus tools who can impact your team in a number of different ways. You know, and I, I see the grade you put on him. It is an everyday big league grade. Mm-hmm. So, it's, I mean, this is a guy that, that that is a possibility. Yeah, the thing with that is you, you we have our grades and we have our risks. And right. his risk is definitely extreme just because it's the, for me, the hit tool is the most important tool if you're a position player. And, and I imagine most people are probably kind of agreeing with me there. But when you have the hit tool questions that he had uh, and his success is in the low minors, there's still a long way he has to go. He's going to have to figure out double A pitching. And that's going to be a big step for him, regardless of when he gets to that point. Um, but, yeah, he's he's definitely an exciting player and one that's starting to kind of put it together, and you're starting to see that on the field. So you went Rowdy Reed 9, mm-hmm. Geisel and Tuna 10. Uh, you mentioned those guys. I, I guess you mentioned they're kind of in that 6-10 to 10 mm-hmm. tier. Was it pretty clear those were your next two, or was there someone in 11-12 you were really debating and it was it was close? Uh I think initially I was pretty sold on these guys when I started doing some more reporting and hearing about a couple of the other guys. Both Blake Perkins and Kelvin Gutierrez are guys who I think you could make an argument for in the top ten. But just looking at impact and uh, the position really with Rowdy Reed, I mean, catching is such a commodity these days. And with the steps that he's taken this season, I think Rowdy Reed is a guy who you could point to and say, this is the guy who's who's taken the biggest step uh, forward in, in the entire system arguably just the stuff he does defensively and offensively this year really starting to put it together um rowdy is a guy who the nationals gave their uh, bob boone award to which re- recognizes uh professionalism leadership consistency uh as well as putting on the uh the on-field results but he's a guy who can impact a team defensively and offensively at the major league level and i put a, an everyday grade on him it's a high risk just because he's still got some stuff to do. I mean, he got some time in the majors this year. It was more of a cup of coffee. Um, but I really like Rowdy Reed. I like what he can do defensively. This year he took strides uh, with his throwing behind the plate. He used to be a guy who would kind of throw from his knees and just let his arm bail him out. But he really improved his footwork this year. He's got a very strong arm, a plus arm. Uh, there are some hit tool questions. But if he's a guy who can be uh, an above-average defensive catcher with some raw power at the plate and that'll play occasionally, that's we'll a very a valuable player. Yeah, No question. And yes, on Tuna, another mm-hmm. guy. Uh, we talked about Luis Garcia earlier. And Tuna, another big signing, yep. 2016. You mentioned him. Um, again, really solid numbers in, mm-hmm. his, in his stateside debut. Yeah, Antuna, Garcia, and then Sanchez are always going to be guys who are linked just because they were part of that big international class in 2016. Antuna was the number 14 prospect, according to our Ben Badler, signed for $3.85 million. 
Uh, and he's a guy who's probably the most physical of the three. He's got the most power currently, and he's impacting the ball more regularly than these other guys. He's also uh, the biggest, uh, and because of that, there are some people who think he might eventually move off shortstop to third base. Uh, and that's kind of the separator for me with Antuna and Garcia at this point. Is with Garcia, it seems like a much safer bet that he's going to stick at shortstop and be a solid or above average defender there. With Antuna, there are more questions. He doesn't have the speed that Garcia does. It's more of a fringe average runner now. And as he continues to put on more weight, that might even regress a little bit more. But he's a good hitter. He's got a very advanced approach already. He's got some power. He projects as a plus power hitter down the line uh, with a plus arm as well. So that that seems like a pretty good third baseman to me down the line. And then It's, it's a foundation to start with. Exactly. And, and he could prove me wrong and play at shortstop. There's still a chance that that happens, obviously. The thing with these guys that's interesting, with those three that we're talking about, uh, Sanchez, Garcia, and Antuna, is there was a glut of shortstops uh, at rookie level for for the Nationals because all these guys are shortstops. They're trying to figure out who's going to play there in the long term, and they need to just get the innings. So it's a little bit early to write them off, and they still need more time to kind of play there every day and work on the fundamentals more. Um, but Antuna is a guy who who's very exciting, more because of his offensive profile for me. So we mentioned this is a pretty top-heavy system. Obviously, those top three, you know, Kibum Romero, and, and the next group's like a decent group, but mm-hmm. none of them are really, you know, top hundred type consideration. Yeah. You know, franchise type, all you know, potential all-star types. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you move deeper into the system, you have Blake Perkins, Kelvin Gutierrez, your next two, Andrew Stevenson, who made his debut, mm-hmm. Rafael Batista, another guy. A lot of these guys, you know, Pedro Severino, guys who I think there's there's definitely big league chances there, mm-hmm. but it's more that second division starter for the Nationals who are not a second division team exactly. and don't project to be. It seems like it's a lot of, okay, you know, nice pieces for an NL club to have, but sure. ultimately bench guys. And a lot of these guys, part of when I was doing the reporting for this, a lot of the questions were, hey, like, is this a guy who maybe if he was on another club could have a more prominent role? And a lot of the answers were, yeah, he could. A guy like, I know, maybe even a famous one at this point for people who follow the national system is a guy like Jose Marmaleos. He's a guy who doesn't project to be an impact player, but he might be the most polished hitter in the national system. He's he's an older guy. Uh, I think he was born in 1993, so he's a year older than me, which is probably old for a prospect. Um, but he's a very polished hitter. He plays first base and corner outfield fringy, so he's not going to impact but you defensively. Left-handed power bat. Yeah, but he's a guy who can really just come in and take professional at-bats. He's ready for the majors, honestly, with, with, his, uh, with his hit tool at this point. Um, but on the Nationals, that, that's a tough sell just because there are so many guys who are impacting the ball like that and can give you more defensively. Um, he's a guy who in their system projects as a pinch hitter off the bench. In another system, maybe he's, a chan- he's got a chance to go out there and play in a platoon or play every day if you're a second division club. But the Nationals, like you said, they're, they're competing for a little bit more than that at this point. You know, who's a guy we've talked about? It. There's A lot of these guys are seen as... You know, potential bench pieces. Is mm-hmm. there a guy here that you feel like has a chance, you know, if, if uh, something clicks the next year or two, you could see him shoot up a little bit into that top 10 range? Yeah, Kevin, Kelvin Gutierrez, as I mentioned earlier, he's a guy who anytime I brought up his name with people that I was talking to when I was reporting for this, were, they were really excited to talk about him because he has a really exciting package of tools. He's a guy who he's dealt with some injuries uh, pretty regularly. He's got a pretty, pretty regular injury uh, history. Uh, but he's a six foot three third baseman who really moves well and can pick it at third with a strong arm there. Uh, he projects as a plus defender. Uh, and his biggest question, he's always been a plus defender. I think for, for a few years now, people have liked the aptitude he's shown on that side of the ball. Um, 
he's arguably the best. He arguably has the best arm in their system. I think him, Daniel Johnson, uh, a couple other guys maybe have have an argument for that. But at the end of this year, he was starting to kind of leverage the ball more, and that's something that's kind of been the missing point of his game. So if he can go into next season. Uh, and start hitting the ball more with authority. You've got a guy who plays a really good third base with a strong arm who can hit the ball. That's pretty valuable. And Absolutely. yeah, he's definitely got a chance to take that next step with graduations and then a jump of his own. And you know, we saw him go into the Arizona Fall League, hit 350 mm-hmm. with a 438 on base and a 475 slug. Out seven walks to ten strikeouts. Uh, really had some good at bats. You mm-hmm. mentioned there was a home run, there was a triple. It wasn't like he was crushing the ball consistently mm-hmm. for extra bases, but. A lot of base hits, got on base a lot. It seemed mm-hmm. like a, a very, a very very solid showing. Only played 13 games, but mm-hmm. it was a good 13 and games. And that's one of the big questions, too, with him because he missed some time this year with an ankle injury. Uh, another another question is he had the highest strikeout rate of his career in the Carolina League, so he's going to have to adjust for that uh, moving forward as he faces better pitching and, and kind of gets his power to play a little bit more. But if there's power growing, he's got the frame. He's got all the physical side of it to play more. I think it's more of a... An approach question with the bat is he trying to leverage the ball or just kind of make some contact. But uh, I think you're going to start to see an evolution in his game. Uh, and if not, then he's still a really good defensive third baseman and might have some some contact skills at the plate. So, absolutely. You know, moving down, you see a lot of a lot of position players uh, in that 11 to 15 range. Mm-hmm. Is there a pitcher here? You know, moving down even into the maybe in the 20s and 30s that is particularly intriguing. Uh, there are a lot of pitchers who are kind of in the back end of this who are guys who, who are just drafted. Brigham Hill is a guy drafted out of Texas A&M. Jackson Tetrault is a guy who is uh, drafted out of the State College of Florida. He actually played with uh, Brendan Little, who was maybe one of the bigger named Juco Took advantage of all, of all the scout size that exactly. were showing up. Exactly, yeah. So those those guys are both interesting in, in different ways. Tetrault is a guy who's got a really fast, whippy arm and can touch 95 at times. Uh, he's very thin and has a projectable body, so yeah, he's a six guy. 6'5", 170 yes, on he's, a six five frame. He is super thin. <laughs> uh, if you can kind of visualize that right now, you know that's a very skinny guy. So if you can add weight to him, he's already got the fast arm that's pretty good for projecting more velo plus the physical gains he should have. Uh, he's a guy who you can dream on. Brigham Hill is kind of the uh, he's more of a Will Crow type, uh, I guess, Florida ceiling guy. He's a guy who's fairly polished right now. Maybe doesn't have a ton of tools. Uh, I think we graded him out as a 45 high guy right now. Which is kind um, of a, a fifth starter exactly. slash seventh inning reliever type. Yeah, it's kind type. of that, that back end of the rotation guy. But but he's a guy who has a very good changeup. And it's a fastball changeup combo, which is also tough to profile because you look around the league, uh, obviously people are falling in love with spin rate and curveballs. And you saw what happened in the playoffs this year with kind of the slider usage. Uh, it's definitely tough to succeed as a fastball changeup guy. Uh, but there are pitchers who do it. Uh, Julio Tehran kind of came up as that. His his secondary cur- his curveball slider combo wasn't great. He kind of succeeded with fastball changeup early. So you can do it. You have to have really good command to right. do it's it. Right. It's one thing you have to have really good command, and your fastball can't be an average fastball. Exactly. That's, That's the thing. And so so he's got some some interesting stuff there, and he does have some uh, some secondary some a curveball and a slider that have potential to turn into Base, to average pitches. It, it needs time. Exactly. He's got a like low 90s sinking fastball. So he's got some elements there, and he's got some starter traits, so he's interesting. Now, every year there's guys that we write up 30 guys, and yet there's still always someone that we couldn't quite put on the list, but talking to evaluators, just discussing what they want, and putting on the depth chart. Mm-hmm. A name who came up that you're like, you know, 
keep an eye on it. Yeah. Who, who was that guy for you? This one's easy for me just because I also did the national uh, draft report guard. He's a guy who they drafted, I think, in the 37th round, 36th <laughs> round, excuse me, out of Auburn. When you think 36th round, you think guys like... That's an old guy. He's yeah, never going to... Yeah, either gonna... that or it's a high school guy who you're not signing. You're just drafting him to say, hey, we're going to be watching out for you in three years. But uh, this is an excellent job of scouting on the national side. Gabe Klobosits out of Auburn in the 36th round is a 6'7", 270-pound righty. 6'7", uh, 270. 270. That's what he's listed. Wow. So he's a, he, he's a big guy. <laughs> Um, and he had maybe the best debut of any any player in the 2017 class for the Nationals. Um, the thing with him is he's, he's definitely a reliever. He was a reliever at Auburn for the most part. Um, but a guy with his frame, normally you think, okay, big guy who can throw hard but has problems throwing strikes. That's not the case with him. He doesn't have a history of high walk rates. I think the lowest rate uh, he's ever had, I know I wrote it up in the report, is something like, Less than uh, less than three uh, three walks per nine for him. That's his highest rate ever. Yeah, that's his highest rate ever. So like through college, uh, and in his short stint with pro ball this year, he's always done really well putting the ball in the strike zone. So he's a guy who maybe is not going to turn into a middle or top of the rotation starter, but has a chance to impact the team. If you can get a if big you're a quality leader, reliever, if you're if you're a big leaguer at any that, point in the 36th round, that's, that's a heck of a pick. Exactly, and he is looking really good right now. He, so he's a guy who could definitely take a jump, uh, and. Great, great job scouting from the Nationals. Not only knowing that, that he's a guy with some talent, but that you can get him in the 36th round to sign, that's pretty tough to do. Oh, absolutely. So, well, Carlos, uh, you completed your first system. Congratulations, <laughs> and uh, we look forward to many more to come. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, folks, go ahead, and uh, if you have any more questions about the Nat system, go ahead and tweet at Carlos here. It's at uh, Carlos Colazzo. At Carlos A. Colazzo. I had to throw in the middle initial. I had there, to do the yeah, same. I yeah. wouldn't have thought Kyle Glazer was that common exactly. of a name. I didn't think mine was either, but apparently it is. But, yeah, if you want to if you want to tweet me anything, any questions on the system, uh, feel free to. I, I love getting on Twitter and interacting with you guys. Here's so. the question. What does the A stand for? The A, oh, I don't know if I'm got to put my middle name out there. It's Antonio. Okay. <laughs> I'm Alexander. Gotcha. So that's the, okay. Now, now Twitter, similar. you know what our A's and our, uh, t- our handles mean. Yeah, you so can there come you at us with our middle names and really get a personal <laughs> feel for, for interacting with us on Twitter. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, folks. It's been our pleasure bringing you another Top 30 podcast. For Carlos Colazzo, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. This wraps up another Baseball America Team Prospect Podcast. A reminder again, our prospect coverage is brought to you by Baseball America subscribers. If you already subscribed, thank you. And if you don't, you can subscribe now and start diving into literally thousands of scouting reports we have at BaseballAmerica.com. Head to BaseballAmerica.com store to subscribe today.